If you're following with us um, in the book, we're on chapter 31, page 272, an interview with the Sacred Mother. Reverend Mother, I was baptized in infancy by your prophet husband. He was the guru of my parents and of my own guru, Sri Yukteswarji. Will you therefore give me the privilege of hearing a few incidents in your sacred life? I was addressing Srimati Kashi Muni, the life companion of Lahiri Mahashaya. Finding myself in Banaras for a short period, I was fulfilling a long-felt desire to visit the venerable lady. She received me graciously at the old Lahiri homestead in the Garudeshwar Mohalla section of Banaras. Although aged, she was blooming like a lotus, silently emanating a spiritual fragrance. She was of medium build, with a slender neck and fair skin. Large, lustrous eyes softened her motherly face. So we find ourselves in Banaras. If you ever find yourself in Banaras in Varanasi, uh, do go look for the house of Lahiri Mahashaya. Narayani's never been there. I've been there just once. We need to make a pilgrimage. Um, unfortunately, now they don't really let anybody in. The house is open only once a year at the time of Guru Purnima. But just being in front of that door, you know, in that tiny little lane, very, very simple little house that you can see. Just, you know, it's a short even wall. You could, if you get on somebody's shoulders and just as easily jump across. But just being there, and it's not easy to find either in the serpentine lanes of Varanasi. But you have, if you ever happen to be there, be a lovely place to just go and sit before that door and just meditate and feel that vibrations. Before we keep going, I would like to bring up something that as I was reading from this chapter, I mean, so far until now, we have had a lot of masculine energy in the form of Swami Pranavananda, Kashi, Sri Yukteswar's energy, I mean, uh, Kumar, uh, Ananda, you know, we have all these male energy and consciousness that have come across this book, I mean, so powerfully. And Yogananda has spoken a little bit about his sister Nalini and Roma a little bit here or there. But it is in this very chapter that there is a shift of consciousness. And Yogananda, Yogananda now introduced the wife of Lahiri Mahashaya. I mean, that Shakti, that feminine energy, that consciousness that Lahiri Mahashaya lived with. And I, I really appreciate that Yogananda called her sacred mother because he didn't even perceive her as a wife, but sacred mother. And of course, it took her a little while to channel that energy before that. But I would like for us in this very chapter to tune a little bit more to that consciousness that Lahiri Mahashaya's wife 
represents not only in his life, but in many of our lives. And there is, there is this shift that I felt last night when I was reading so far all <laughs> these chapters and now suddenly, you know, the sacred mother. He didn't speak about her, his sister Nalini and Roma in this way as he presents Yeah, only his here. own mother a little bit. Yes, a little bit. Kashimoni led the way to a very small room where, for a time, she had lived with her husband. I felt honored to witness this shrine in which the peerless master had condescended to play the human drama of matrimony. The gentle lady motioned me to a pillow seat by her side. It was years before I came to realize the divine stature of my husband, she began. One night, in this very room, I had a vivid dream. Glorious angels floated in unimaginable grace above me. So realistic was the sight that I awoke at once. The room was strangely, strangely enveloped in dazzling light. My husband, in lotus posture, was levitated in the center of the room, surrounded by angels who were worshipping him with the supplicating dignity of palm-folded hands. Astonished beyond measure, I was convinced that I was still dreaming. What a beautiful image, isn't it? I mean, a little beyond, perhaps, again, our own daily experiences. But here you have Lahiri Mahashaya in the center of the room, just levitating, just floating. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> Narayani were to yeah. wake up, or I wake up one night and Narayani yeah, is just floating in the air. <laughs> What's going on here? And then on top of that, just this light and these angels, and these saints all around, just venerating, just supplicating before Lahiri Mahashaya. It must have been quite a sight. Woman, Lahiri Mahashaya said, you are not dreaming. Forsake your sleep forever and forever. As he slowly descended to the floor, I prostrated at his feet. Master, I cried, again and again I bow before you. Will you pardon me for having considered you as my husband? I die with shame to realize that I have remained asleep in ignorance by the side of one who is divinely awakened. From this night, you are no longer my husband, but my guru. Will you accept my insignificant self as your disciple? The master touched me gently. Sacred soul, arise. You are accepted. He motioned toward the angels. Please bow in turn to each of these holy saints. When I finished my humble genuflections, the angelic voices sounded together like a chorus from an ancient scripture. Consort of the Divine One, thou art blessed. We salute thee. They bowed at my feet, and lo, their refulgent forms vanished. The room darkened. My guru asked me to receive initiation into Kriya Yoga. Of course, I responded. I am sorry not to have had its blessing earlier in my life. The time was not ripe, Lahiri Mahashaya smiled consolingly. Much of your karma I have silently helped you to work out. Now you are willing 
and ready. It's an important moment, isn't it? How many of us say, ah, oh, if I wish and, you know, why didn't I come sooner and, you know, if only I had known before and so on and so forth. Here you've got, you know, <laughs> Muni married to this great master, living with him day and night, seeing the fact that he meditates. Not like Lahiri Masha was hiding that side of him. He was meditating, people would come into the house, they were his disciples. I mean, she knew him to be a master. It's not like she was oblivious. She didn't think of him as some ordinary man, but nothing awakened in her, you see. Now, we could have gone by, I mean, a lot of people talk about even the book, the autobiography, that, oh yeah, I read it once and, you know, wasn't a big deal. And then I read it a second time, wasn't a big deal. Somewhere <laughs> around the third time, it suddenly struck me that, oh my goodness, you know, I want this. And so on and so forth for so many of us, we're just not ready. And uh, I think it's a humbling moment to say, all right, I'm just not ready. Doesn't matter, you could be the closest, you could be right there next to the Guru. You could be sitting with Yogananda for, you know, on a train and you'd never know who he was. You could be married, imagine that, to a self-realized master and you would never know who he was and you never know what you are trying to receive from him. So don't ever assume for any particular reason that if only, there couldn't have been an if only, there was only this particular time that was ripe for each and every one of us. Hi want to bring up two things and think also what you think about. Here there is a sentence that struck me last night as never before about Lahir Mahashaya. And at some point he asks his wife to vow not to bow not only to him but to the holy saints that were around him. And it made me think had Lahiri Mahashaya, I mean, did Lahiri Mahashaya have disciples also in other planes? Because we, we know he had disciples and he wanted for other people to respect those advanced disciples he was training. But the fact that he wanted for his wife to bow to those holy saints made me realize that perhaps Lahiri Mahashaya was also training and helping uh, other souls to evolve spiritually in the astral plane and perhaps in the causal plane as well. And the fact that he didn't come to her by himself, but accompanied with a group of holy saints or perhaps disciples that he was representing at that moment. So uh, I felt that uh, image quite powerful and I would like to meditate a little bit more about it. I mean, Lahiri Mahashaya traveling, you know, coming from those higher levels of consciousness and, you know, spheres with, you know, a group of disciples and holy saints. So that was something like new that I never noticed before. And here when he said to his wife, the time was not ripe. Um, I have helped you, but you know, 
you were not ready to receive uh, the kind of wisdom. On Thursday, Shuja was talking on the Gita about Krishna, saying to Arjuna that to give advice or to give something to someone that is not ready yet or is not appropriate spiritually for that person. The act of giving, the information you offer, the knowledge that you transfer becomes tamasic. And I was thinking that this is how God works with us as well. He doesn't break his rules. So he's never going to give us something that we'll make of, we will make of that offering something domestic, that we won't be able to do something real with it, that we won't be able to make inner changes within us. And I was making that comparison between the Gita, that is statement, not that Lahir Mahashaya also like, you were not ready, it would have been inappropriate mm. for me to give you something before your time, before you were able to digest such an understanding. So That lines also, just before much of your karma, I have silently helped you to work out and that's another very pleasing statement for me because that's what the gurus are doing on our behalf. You see, they're just preparing us. Master would talk about, Yogananda would talk about, every night I go through the lives of all my disciples and while you're asleep even, I'm working on your karma. I'm just going through it and I'm just clearing out whatever I am able to, whatever you are willing to give to me, whatever you have released during the day, that I can easily take away, that you don't have to live through. And you can think of Lahiri Mahashaya just there saying nothing to his wife. I mean, here it is again. We have to realize Lahiri Mahashaya was just being who he always was. Every night he's meditating, disciples are coming in and out of his place. It's not like Kashi Muni just had no idea. It wasn't like he just goes to office and he comes back and he, you know, he plays with the kids and he goes to sleep. She knew who he was, or she at least knew how others viewed him, but she could not see him for who he was. And that's also how many ordinary people there are in our lives who we cannot see them for who they are, because we're still just not ready. And the other word Lahiri Mahashaya uses here is, now you are willing mm -hmm. and ready. Willing and ready. And that's the harder part, in mm -hmm. fact. Sometimes we're ready, we're not willing to do the work it takes. Mm -hmm. um, when Narayani was talking about, you know, the whole idea of tamasic giving, uh, it kind of also reminds me of the fact that how Yogananda Ji wanted us to offer Kriya Diksha. You know, not just like, hey, you walked into the door here, oh, wonderful, you know, here's this wonderful technique, even though the technique itself may be an amazing thing, but to the person who is with you, you have to just really find out how willing they are and that's why this whole journey was kind of you can say created to a certain degree here's the hung so here's the energization how willing are you even to start with something as simple as that and then if you can't even keep up with your daily meditations what are you going to do with a great technique anyway and that's just helpful for all of us to realize as narayani said 
Everything that's coming to us is coming at the right time, at the right place, when we are both able and willing to deal with it. And when we're not willing to deal with it, you'll see that karma will go away, but then it'll come back again, and then it'll come back again, until in fact we become willing to deal with it. And each time it returns, it returns just a little stronger because we ran from it before. And in fact, another aspect uh, in this story that it's not enough to be physically near hmm. your guru or even in the presence of your very guru. It's not enough, you know, I mean, we really have to do the job and the work that is being asked. Many people want to come to live to the communities or want to come to live near us or near other places where they think that by just being in close proximity with that vibration will change me. Yes, it, it will change you a little bit, but if you want real permanent transformation, uh, the work is individual. And there is a lot of self-effort involved. So let's not mm, bypass, that, bypass yeah. that or assume that by just living in that place, I will automatically be changed. Yogananda used to say about his ashram in Mount, Mount Washington, I think he said, there are many rats in this building, <laughs> but not by living here, they are becoming saints. You know, like say, yeah, people can live here, but if you just don't discipline yourself and do what is required, you know, it won't happen. He touched my forehead and masses of whirling light appeared. The radiance gradually formed itself into the opal blue spiritual eye, ringed in gold and centered with a white pentagonal star. So just as, as we, you see on the altar, we always keep the image of the spiritual eye as a reminder of what that tunnel eventual kind of merging is going to express itself like. So here Lahiri Mahashaya touches his wife on the forehead and boom, there it is, the spiritual eye becomes visible to her by her guru's touch. Vision after vision broke as oceanic surf on the shores of my soul. The panoramic spheres finally melted in a sea of bliss. I lost myself in ever-surging blessedness. When I returned hours later to awareness of this world, the master gave me the technique of Kriya Yoga. From that night on, Lahiri Mahashaya never slept in my room again, nor thereafter did he ever sleep. He remained in the front room downstairs in the company of his disciples, both by day and by night. This is the moment Lahiri Mahashaya, you can say to a certain degree, sheds that little veil of being a husband and being a householder. It's like he was there for his wife for as long as it was needed. The moment he was able to create that shift where now his wife realized, wait a minute, you're my guru, you're my master. I can't even see you as my husband anymore. And then that's it, that pretense, that little role that he came to play, now he didn't have to play it anymore. 
all right. So now I don't have to pretend to sleep every night. <laughs> now I can just be out there and I can just be meditating and now I can give myself completely to my disciples. Thus far, you can say almost he had to hold himself back to maintain the, as we said, the little role, that little play. And of course, to help silently his own wife, just being together in the same bed, some vibrations that were exchanging. Now that that job was done, now that the work, essentially you can say, fell on Kashi Muni, her being willing and ready, now he could go and be the master to all his disciples equally. And make me, make me think about, you know, when we are giving um, a responsibility or some understanding or um, Diksha initiation of sorts, or when we realize something at a very deep level, you can see even in her life, something needed to be shifted. And there are certain relationships that will take a turn around or they will change and your approach uh, with each other will be different and certain lifestyles will need to be adjusted as well. I mean, from that day onwards, they slept separately. And of course, this is a little bit extreme, but this is what be, was being asked for her. But for many of us, once we enter on the path of Kriya Yoga, there will be certain things that will be changed in our lives and certain things that we need to adjust in order to keep progressing spiritually. Mm, that's a nice thought. Yeah. Kind of she, she gained a guru, but she lost a yeah. husband. Yeah. And each of us will have I mean, not necessarily, as Narayani said, to that degree, but mm. each of us will have some little thing. You know, the universe always works on that balance of exchanges. Or to let go of a certain perception mm -hmm. we had of someone or something. Yeah. The illustrious lady fell into silence. Realizing the uniqueness of her relationship with the sublime yogi, I finally ventured to ask for further reminiscences. Son, you are greedy. <laughs> Nevertheless, you shall have one more story. Master was being greedy for us. He's like, I have to write these stories down. <laughs> there are going to be people hundreds of years later who are going to want to know more of Lahiri Mahasaya's life. She smiled shyly. I will confess a sin which I committed against my guru husband. Some months after my initiation, I began to feel forlorn and neglected. One morning, Lahiri Mahashaya entered this little room to fetch an article. I quickly followed him. Overcome by violent delusion, I addressed him scathingly. You spend all your time with the disciples. What about your responsibilities for your wife and children? I regret that you do not interest yourself in providing more money for the family. Uh-oh. <laughs> Oops. The master glanced at me for a moment. Then lo, he was gone. Awed and frightened, I heard a voice resounding from every part of the room. It is all nothing, don't you see? How could a nothing like me produce riches for you? Guruji, I cried, I 
implore pardon a million times. My sinful eyes can see you no more. Please appear in your sacred form. I am here. This reply came from above me. I looked up and saw the master materialize in the air, his head touching the ceiling. His eyes were like blinding flames. Beside myself with fear, I lay sobbing at his feet after he had quietly descended to the floor. Woman, he said, seek divine wealth, not the paltry tinsel of earth. After acquiring inward treasure, you will find that outward supply is always forthcoming. He added, one of my spiritual sons will make provision for you. My Guru's words naturally came true. A disciple did leave a considerable sum for our family. You can almost say that it's natural, you know, as being her, his wife, for her to feel that way. But that's, as I think, what Narayani was alluding to as well. When you become a disciple, when you step onto the spiritual path in earnest, everything changes. Everything must shift. You can't kind of cling to those past delusions, hopes, expectations, dreams, at least not with that same, you know, fierceness of attachment. You really have to make that shift. In this particular case, of course, this was a little, almost you can say comical, a wife kind of trying to, where's the money for the house? Why aren't you, you know, coming, taking better care of me and the children? You're always with your disciples, she being one of them now. And Lahiri Masha, who seems to have a penchant for wanting to be floating in the air all the time. There it is, you know, I'm, I'm nothing. How can, what do you expect from this nothingness of this universe? For nothing is real. There it is. He could, you know, we just went through the law of miracles. We just talked about how the great masters, when their mass is infinite, when they're connected with that infinite reality, they travel at the speed of light, they materialize and dematerialize, they can create any reality they want from the light atoms present in the universe, the life-trons and thought-trons, as Yogananda called them. And that's what Lahiri Masha is kind of showing us. And each of us are that way, aren't we, with our Guru? Oh, Guru, yeah, fine, you know, freedom's fine and bliss is fine, but why aren't you giving me that job that I'm looking for? Why aren't you giving me the house that I want? Why aren't you giving me my soulmate? Why isn't he or she coming to me? So on and so forth. You know, we just like how little we ask from them sometimes and how hard it is for them to relate some to that vibrational reality that we lay before them. Thank God Lahiri Mahashaya could speak to Kashi Muni that way. Mostly our Guru just remains silent yeah. because he's like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this particular request of yours. And he's like, fine, I'll just wait. When you do want bliss and freedom, then come to me then. I was thinking like, wow, this is how the householder yogis fight. I mean, you just <laughs> say something, one line, poof, you just dematerialize your body and your eyes, you know, with flames of fire, you know, like this is the exchange you have with one another. Like, can't you imagine, why didn't you do the dishes today? And, you know, and your husband suddenly, you know, becomes a ball of fire. So I was thinking like, wow. 
what a scene <laughs> in their own bedroom. I mean, like they don't need even to just, you know, close the door like loudly. They just, just fight in this, you know, with so many tricks, which is quite fascinating. Like, wow, this, I mean, her experience as a disciple in the role of first householder wife and then as a guru must have been quite uh, extraordinary journey for her to realize and to learn bit by bit um, how to become a good disciple. The other thing about this story is very comforting for me to see that, wow, if someone <laughs> who was living 24-7 hours with a self-realized, omnipresent, omnipotent master still have those shortcomings, you know, and a little kind of, you know, <laughs> the ego coming out, you know, in these different facets. We shouldn't feel that bad when we, you know, recognize that there are so many things to work within ourselves. So somehow I was so happy. Comforted. <laughs> Comforting, comforted that she, you know, felt uh, as sharing this story because for many of us wives and <laughs> disciples and, you know, who are living a householder life, uh, we all go through this, uh, not necessarily for money in our case, but you know, for other little things that keep coming up. And we have to recognize that they are there, and that's why we are married to keep working out those little issues and things. But um, it's worth it, you know, because once you confront your own issues, issues, and the master replies to you right away, you can suddenly make that shift and she realized in, in a matter of a second you know she 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 realized wow i mean the ego boom redirected that so thank you <laughs> also comforting is that you know we see in just the previous page she's had this you know, cosmic experience going into the spiritual eye you know bliss upon bliss kind of coming onto the shores of her consciousness and um, as Master always used to say, inner experiences in meditation doesn't naturally mean mm -hmm. that your consciousness also transforms in that process. It often can, but um, don't go looking only for those experiences. Look for a shift of consciousness. Mm -hmm. That's what the spiritual journey is about. And let those experiences be almost, you can say, little signs that you're on the right direction and that you're moving towards the goal kind of consistently because you can have something that amazing and then you can still immediately wonder about money and wonder about the fear of not being loved enough and not being paid enough attention and so on and so forth and there it is you know the vast difference of consciousness of being in that cosmic bliss and then once Maybe again more. returning back into an ego awareness and of course those final words of Lahiri Mahashaya's which reflect that saying in the Bible, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He puts it more simply this way. After acquiring inward treasure, you will find that outward supply is always forthcoming. That's the amazing part of the spiritual path, isn't it? Because 
we really think of it as world negating, as this renunciation, as this, oh my goodness, I can't be thinking about all these things. But in fact, the moment you set your sights on these higher realities, everything else just works out on the material plane. All your desires also get fulfilled in the process. That's what's crazy about it. Because <laughs> we're so keen on fulfilling our desires first. Let me just work on all this first and then maybe, you know, if there is a little energy left, I'll look for something beyond that. But if you only go here, because in order to get here, as the life force has to pass through all our centers, it has to pretty much work through every desire that exists. It pretty much has to bring into manifestation. But in this process, only those desires, only those circumstances will be brought into manifestation that will continue to further support that upward movement. Not desires that will draw you away or distract you or bind you further. And it's just an amazing kind of... Uh, truth isn't it seek ye first the kingdom of god and all these other things christ says shall be added unto you everything else that you thought you needed the in fact the soulmate the love the you know the money the support the friendships the promotions it all participates because everything of this world is designed either to free you or to bind you the same situation but when you start seeking freedom then those very desires, those very circumstances, those very karmas, then align themselves to promote more and more freedom rather than more and more binding. So there it is. After acquiring the inward treasure, you will find that outward supply is always forthcoming. But you can't cheat this law. You can't be like, hmm, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> so let me like try to see God so that. The moment you do that, you know, the, this very law probably loses all power in your life. You really have to acquire that inward treasure. That must be your sole kind of defining goal of life. I thanked Kashi Muni for sharing with me her wondrous experiences. On the following day, I returned to her home and enjoyed several hours of philosophical discussion with Teen Kauri and Dukauri Lahiri. They're the sons. These are these two saintly sons of India's great yogi followed closely in his ideal footsteps. Both men were fair, tall, stalwart, heavily bearded, with soft voices and an old-fashioned charm of manner. His wife was not the only woman disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. There were hundreds of others, including my mother. A woman Chela once asked the Guru for his photograph. He handed her a print, remarking, If you deem it a protection, then it is so. Otherwise, it is only a picture. There is only one photo that exists of Larry Masha, the one we have on the altar. Of course, uh, the larger version of it is him in his entirety seated in the lotus posture. And there's a fun story around it, which maybe it'll come later on. I We've not gone so. through it. Have yeah. you gone through it no. already? No, just how this photographer was, you know, very intent on taking the photo and Lahiri Masha wouldn't let him. So every time he took the photo, there would be nothing there until Lahiri Masha finally said, all right, now take my photograph. So that one photo is all that exists of Lahiri Masha. We don't know any other version of him. You know, none with his kids, not with his wife, nowhere with his disciples, nothing else. But that photo 
you remember in the early chapters was a source of a great healing for Yogananda as a child who was just at death's door. But his mother said, just pray inwardly to that photo and immediately he was healed in that divine light. And so as he gave it to this chela, which is nice to see is, if you deem it a protection, then it is. Otherwise, it's only a photograph. And that's kind of returning to a certain degree back to that law of miracles. Remember the quality of light? If you observe it in a certain way, it became a particle. And if you didn't, then it could be both a wave and a particle. That means the potential for it to be either or exists. But the moment you want to lock it in into one or the other, it becomes, it solidifies into, you know, a particle. And that's true for the entire world. As we observe the world, as we open ourselves to this world, that's what this world becomes for us. And the same is true to, for these masters. If we just think of them as photographs on the wall, then they're just photographs on the wall. If we think of them as the living presence of our gurus, then that's what they become in our lives. In fact, I was thinking that we really have the power to infuse that in the picture itself. I mean, we have the power to spiritualize absolutely everything. And whether they become more, ali more alive or not, it's not dependent on them. <laughs> it's on us, our own devotion, our own belief, our heart's yearning that makes them alive. I mean, and, and the more we project that belief, the more we project that devotion towards that picture of any saint. In this case, we are talking about these five line of gurus that are our beloved, beloveds, beloveds? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that has that plural. Yeah, I guess they're all just our anyway, beloved. But in any other saint, I mean, you can really infuse and make them alive in your daily lives by just watching a picture. I mean, that's so powerful. So from now on, if you have a picture, not just on your altar, but in any world, you know, every time you go, you look at them, you know, develop and infuse them, even with greater power. There is story of Yogananda that he had in his ashram a picture of his guru, Sri Yudeshwaran. Absolutely every time he passed through that picture, he will never miss it. He will just bow very consciously to the image of his guru that for him wasn't an image, wasn't just a picture. It was the living presence of his guru through that picture. And the fact that he stopped and bowed to him um, is an insight for us that we could do the same as well. A few days later, this woman and Lahiri Mahashaya's daughter-in-law happened to be studying the Bhagavad Gita at a table behind which hung the Guru's photograph. An electrical storm broke out with great fury. Lahiri Mahashaya, protect us! The women bowed before the picture. Lightning struck the book which they had been reading, but the two devotees were unhurt. I felt as though a sheet of ice had been placed around me 
to ward off the scorching heat, the chela explained. Lahiri Mahashaya performed two miracles in connection with a woman disciple, Abhoya. She and her husband, a Calcutta lawyer, started one day for Banaras to visit the Guru. Their carriage was delayed by heavy traffic. Good to see that heavy traffic existed <laughs> back in the 1920s and 30s or whenever. Oh, this must have been even earlier because this is Lahiri Mahashaya we're talking about. They reached the Havra main station only to hear the Banaras train whistling for departure. Abhoya near the ticket office stood quietly. Lahiri Mahashaya, I beseech thee to stop the train. She silently prayed. I cannot suffer the pangs of delay in waiting another day to see you. The wheels of the snorting train continued to move round and round, but there was no onward progress. The engineer and passengers descended to the platform to view the phenomenon. An English railroad guard approached Abhoya and her husband. Contrary to all precedent, he volunteered his services. Babu, he said, give me the money. I will buy your tickets while you get aboard. As soon as the couple was seated and had received the tickets, the train slowly moved forward. In panic, the engineer and passengers clambered again to their places, knowing neither how the train started nor why it had stopped in the first place. <laughs> Arriving at the home of Lahiri Mahashaya in Benares, Abhoya silently prostrated herself before the master and tried to touch his feet. Compose yourself, Abhoya, he remarked. How you love to bother me, as if you could not have come here by the next train. <laughs> Just sweet moments, isn't it? But of course, what's key here is the faith and devotion that these disciples had in their guru. And that's just all there is, isn't it? Uh, I remember this one story of uh, Padmapad, who was a disciple of Shankaracharya. I think I mentioned this story before where Shankaracharya is on this other opposite side of the bank and he motions and he calls his disciple over and without a hesitation moment the disciple just steps onto the water you know there's this entire river uh, normally you'd be like oh guru you're calling me okay one minute let me see you know how can i get across like is there a bridge is there a boat what do i do but this disciple my guru is calling me boom he just starts walking and every place he walked on that river a lotus leaf came up to support him and then he just walked across. And from that day, in fact, he was given the name Padma Pad, Lotus Feet himself. And on one hand, you can think of it as Shankaracharya was his guru, therefore that happened. But in fact, if you really think about it, it was his own love and faith that created that. That complete, oh, my guru is calling me. Oh, there he is. Boom. I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm not going to wonder about how do I cross? How do I make this happen? Oh my goodness, he's calling me. You know how we, we get restless and we get all... I mean, just completely calm, absolutely sure. There's my guru. Where else would I want to be? And I start walking towards him. And the same is happening with these chelas here. On one hand, you can attribute this to Lahiri Mahashaya, which would be entirely true to do. But on the other hand, you can really also attribute it to the disciples themselves and the power that they were in able to kind of act
activate in the universe in order to make these miracles happen. That's what happens all the time. It's appropriate for us to then offer it to our Guru and said, you did this because in fact it was remembering him, that consciousness that activated it. But we have a great role to play in terms of our love and our faith and our absolute conviction in the presence and power of the Guru. I'm going to read this paragraph for oh, a change. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> because I, I feel this woman disciple, wow, she is quite something. I mean, she's not a regular disciple and right now we are going to see uh, the quality of her soul. Aboya visited Lahiri Mahashaya on another memorable occasion. This time, she wanted his intercession, not with a train, but with a stork. I pray you to bless me that my ninth child may live, she said. 